In this episode of the podcast, Christina Adams is coming on to share her birth story. It took her and her husband a little while to get pregnant, and just when they were about to start fertility treatments, they actually conceived on their own. She talks about how through her first trimester, she was terrified of losing her pregnancy after waiting so long to actually get pregnant, and then how she loved her second and her third trimesters. Going into labor, she talks about how she actually ate a pizza called the Induction Pizza, which is here in Charlotte at a pizza restaurant, and it actually put her into labor starting the next day. She shares how her positive view on birth from reading things like Ina May's Guide to Childbirth and educating herself were really her best option for pain relief. Postpartum, Christina says that she went on a crusade to exclusively breastfeed. She also talks about sleep training and how sleep training really helped just transform their lives postpartum. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hello and welcome to What the Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula who is expecting my first baby this September. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> yes, I'm excited to have you. So starting off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your family. So I um, am 38. I am married to my husband, Kirk. We've been married since 2017. And we have a um, daughter who is 18 months named Alexandra. Awesome. So Alexandra's 18 months. So tell me about finding out you were pregnant with her. Like I said, we got married in 2017. We had planned to wait a year before we started trying. We wanted to buy a house and um, go on a European vacation. And I ended up getting a job offer. So once we started trying, when I was 35, um, it took about seven or eight cycles. We kind of had like a long road, not, not very long, um, but it was longer than we had expected. And um, so we found out in March, 2019 that we were pregnant and we actually found out right before we were going to start an IUI cycle. Mm. So because it took seven, eight ish cycles, I'm very type a, I am like, you know, I like things done efficiently and quickly. And so the minute that we were not getting pregnant immediately, the first like two or three cycles, I went ahead and just made an appointment with um, a reproductive endocrinologist gotcha. for six months. Like I didn't want to mess around. I was just ready to be pregnant. And um, so we had gone, we'd done like the diagnostics. He got checked, I got checked, everything was great. So it was kind of unexplained infertility right. because there was nothing that they could really like address and say, well, this is the reason. And so in that case, they just said, well, IUI is your best bet. Um, they wouldn't let me go to IVF even though I really wanted to, because it's got better success rates. And I felt like I want a baby yesterday. Let's just <laughs> jump to IVF. Um, and, uh, my doctor was like, no, Christina, we can't do that. Like you don't need it right now. There's no reason to go there. Let's just try IUI. Um, and so I, in my head, I was waiting for my period to start so that I could start the meds and, and start the cycle. And sure enough, I was getting more frustrated because my period wasn't coming and I didn't ever think that I was pregnant. And so I finally just took a test and sure enough, I was pregnant. So that's 
how we found out. Um, very unexpected and very fortunate and very lucky that we didn't have to um, go through and, and spend that money and, and do that procedure. So it was uh, a happy accident. Yes. That's such a blessing that right before you guys, like were about to leap into that IUI that you ended up getting pregnant on your own. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And do you, did they, did they want you to do the IUI first? Just cause it's like the kind of like the less invasive than like, if that didn't work, then they were kind of going to let you go to I- IVF. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think the standard protocol is try if you have everything in order if everything looks good IUI is like the cheaper option and it's less invasive and so that's kind of like the entry level um treatment before um they go to IVF and I think my doctor specifically said he likes to do three rounds of IUI um before he discusses any other routes or options so IUI is the interuterine insemination. And there was still, you mentioned like before you started the medication. So there were still medications that they were going to give you with that, correct? Yeah. So they're like the ovulation induction. And then I think there's like a HCG trigger shot or something okay. like that To um, I might be totally wrong in some of those technical things, but <laughs> I think that's kind of how it sounds like um, it, it normally goes um, in the beginning of your cycle. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Okay. And so take me through your pregnancy. What was it like? How were you feeling? Um, so my pregnancy, I was, um, very, very, very lucky and very fortunate that, um, for the most part, it was really good. It was low risk. I was very healthy. Um, you know, the first trimester stinks. It's rough. It's brutal. Um, the exhaustion is a level of fatigue. I've never experienced to your bones. It's just I mean, it, it's like a Mack truck has hit you. It, it really does feel like you just have it hangover every single day. Um, and for me, I'm very like normally high energy, um, really energetic and like to get things done. I work out, like I'm just always go, go, go. My husband calls me the Tasmanian devil um, because I'm always doing something. I can't sit down. And so that was really just, I didn't expect to kind of be, you know, almost bedridden um, to a point. Like there were days that I worked from home and I would fall asleep like on a conference call. Like I just like I'm embarrassed to say that. Um, not my be- not my best days, but yeah, they were just. I mean, you could not stay awake. I would go to sleep at like 9 p.m. My husband was trying to be a champ right there with me and, and go to bed at 9 p.m. with me, and then finally. After a few weeks, he's like, dude, I can't go to bed at 9 p.m. Like, I'm not like a 10-year-old. Like, you you can go to bed. So, um, yeah, it was exhausting. Um, the I didn't have, like, morning sickness. Like, I wasn't getting physically ill. Um, and ironically, I wasn't sick in the morning. My mornings were the best for me. But around 11 a.m. is when I got really nauseous and like the food aversions and like, it was just, you know, and then by five or 6 PM, I was just basically out of commission. Um, so yeah, so that was probably the first trimester was just kind of, um, very late, laid very low and didn't do much. Didn't see a lot of people. Um, it was just kind of uneventful. Um, I will say the only thing about the first trimester that really kind of took me by surprise was kind of the emotional um, 
feeling very like uncertain about the pregnancy. And I just felt really, really like delicate and very fragile, like, or the pregnancy was very delicate or fragile. And I don't know why I've never, you know, like, I don't know if it was because of my age or if because I had been researching infertility and, and, and doing a lot of research about that and stumbling across a lot of stories of loss, but I was so terrified of, of losing the pregnancy. And I was just like obsessed with it. Like I would, before appointments, I would almost psych myself up, like almost prepare myself for bad news. And it was just kind of sad that like the first trimester was that way. Like I was very secretive about it and it was just kind of clouded, I think in a way emotionally. And I don't know if other women feel that way, but I just, you know, you know, I look back and I just kind of like regret that it was kind of such a like sad and secretive and kind of like uncertain time a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of women 100% can relate to probably way more than you could even imagine can relate to what you're saying right now about the first trimester because, and, and, you know, some women might even say it's the whole pregnancy that, that they feel like that, that they just feel like it's fragile and they have a fear of losing it. And I know even for me, I had one miscarriage before my current pregnancy Mm -hmm. and being pregnant. Then the second time after experiencing a loss, like even still, I have this like weird feeling in my gut, almost like you said, like you said that you would almost want to like prepare before, before your appointment for bad news. Yeah. Like I still do that. And I'm almost in my third trimester and every, like, you know, I'll just, and if I don't feel a kick for a few hours, I get really nervous and it's, and it it sucks because like you, you want to enjoy it and you want to, and you know, it's such an amazing, beautiful, like just such an amazing time of our lives. But there's definitely, I think a part of every woman who has that little bit of fear. And if you don't like more power to you, I'm envious because it's not fun. Um, but it it's, it's a real thing for sure. Like, you know, everybody talks about postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, but like there is such thing as prenatal anxiety, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. I think, I think that that is extremely relatable on many levels. Yeah. And I'm sorry about your loss. And yes, thank you. I mean, I, that, that's what, I mean, I think it makes total sense when you've experienced loss and I can't imagine how dealing with a second pregnancy is and and how nerve wracking that is. Uh, So I don't know why, I don't know why I, it was so nerve wracked like about a first pregnancy with no indication that anything was ever going to be wrong. Um, And I think it was the entire pregnancy, like same thing towards the third trimester, I would like worry and start drinking Coke or lay down or something to make sure the baby was kicking. I mean, my, and my kid was wild, wild. So, but there's just something, you know, I know a lot of women say like, I wish I could keep my baby in my womb forever where they're nice and safe and snuggled up. And I was just like, come out. I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want to make sure you're breathing. I just, I want you here. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's funny how people, you know, kind of feel differently about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether you've had a loss or not, like it's valid to feel like that in pregnancy, you know, I, I don't, yes, having a loss maybe makes it like a little bit different with the level of anxiety in a way, but even people who haven't had, you know, a loss, even like, 
you know, a lot of years might've stemmed from even just struggling to get pregnant. Like, you yeah. know, I've waited so long to get here. I do not want to lose it. Yeah. Cause then I'm back at like, you know, you're back at this at square one again. And so I'm sure that's, that's where a lot of it can stem from for other people. And I'm the same way. I literally say every day, I'm like, oh, I just can't wait to have this baby. So I don't have to like worry about her in my womb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me about the rest of your pregnancy kind of after that first trimester, when a lot of that, like you said, the fatigue, the nausea, when that faded. Um, Yeah. So I would say it was, it was truly around like kind of that um, like second trimester, probably 12, 14 weeks. um, Things started to kind of um, improve, I guess. I remember um, I hadn't been able to go to the grocery store during the first trimester, like everything I looked at smells, I just, I couldn't handle it. And I just remember in like 14 weeks being like, I think I can go to the grocery store. And like, that was like a big milestone for me. Like, I think I cooked pasta, like vegetarian pasta. Cause I was still like really off meat. So yeah, around 14 weeks was really when things improved. And I will say, luckily the second and third trimesters were like a dream. I mean, I know the second trimester for most women is pretty awesome, but like I got really lucky and like even the third trimester was like kind of cake for me. So I was back to like able to like work out regularly, go to the gym. Um, you know, I'd never experienced any sleeping issues. I didn't have to buy one of those huge pregnancy pillows. Um, you know, I just had like very like routine care. Um, I think this was kind of when we decided to tell people that we were pregnant it was around like 14, 16 weeks. We gotten like um, some tests back and we felt like good about sharing the news. Um, and so, yeah, the second trimester was awesome. Um, third trimester was great. Um, you know, I I worked out, I think until like middle of the third trimester, um, I was eating pretty healthy. I think they like said to gain 25 to 35 pounds. So I tried to be like mindful about what I was eating and then like indulged on the weekends. Um, did not have any cravings. Um, I was kind of bummed about that because I feel like cravings are one of those like things that everyone has a story about what they craved. And I love hearing that too. And so I was bummed. I never had any like off the wall, crazy cravings. Um, I really liked ice water, which I normally drink like room temperature water. Pause. That's, that is funny that you say that because First of all, I'm already, I'm relating like sitting here to so much of your story right now in your pregnancy <laughs> because you said pregnancy made you feel hungover in the first trimester and that's exactly the word that I would always use to describe it. And I normally only drink room temperature water and I love ice water now. Yeah. I just had yeah, to share right? that. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Good. I'm and I have no, I'm not alone. Yeah, I have no cravings. My husband's always like, I want you to crave things because like yes. I want to go at midnight and like get you McDonald's and then get myself something and you don't want anything. I'm like, no, like I I I eat 100% what I would normally eat. Yeah. Which yeah, is healthy exactly. and boring. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. And my husband was the same way. Like his mom has a, a cute story about her just wanting like um, Whoppers from Burger King. Like that's all she ate was Whoppers. And he just always thinks like, I hope when you get pregnant, like you crave Whoppers because I don't <laughs> like Burger King. I'm not like a fast food person. So he's like, I hope you crave like Arby's or Burger King or something really like bad and terrible so that like I have a reason to indulge. And yeah, I didn't really like, I think ice water, I, I was pregnant in the summer too. And so like, um, 
I really liked salads and really cold fruit. But other than that, like nothing, like nothing yeah. fun. Yeah. Like, I like, I like cheese a little bit more, I would say than normal. And, and that's kind of really it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't, I heard something that they like say that sometimes cravings can be based on like your nutritional deficiency or something like that. So yeah. I guess maybe I didn't have any, so I didn't have any crazy cravings, yeah, that's but good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. So I guess that was kind of the second trimester. Um, you know, I, I would say it was like pretty uneventful. Um, you know, we didn't really run into any issues. I think that was the second trimester is probably when I decided like to think about doing like an unmedicated birth. And I contacted um, Helen with Aussie doulas and got hooked up with Carly and, and started down that route. Yes. So going into your birth, what were your preferences? What were you Im- imagining your birth to be like? Um, so like I, I told you before, but I'll say it again. Um, I really loved um, birth stories, listening to birth stories, even like before I was pregnant, like while I was trying to get pregnant, I just loved listening to them. And so I got really into like, while I was trying to get pregnant, I kind of, I got kind of hippie-ish, kind of granola. Um, I was trying to like all these like kind of holistic alternative ways to get pregnant. Like I'm talking like castor oil packs and mind massage and acupuncture. Like I was, I was pretty like all over the place. Um, and I was really adamant that my body could get pregnant. And I, um, so I, I was really into that like idea of like, your body can do this, your body can do this. Like I can do this. And so that just, I think trickled over to pregnancy and thinking about like labor and delivery. Like I just, kind of decided like, well, you know, I got pregnant naturally and, and I'm low risk and I have a midwife. So maybe I, I can do this kind of hands off and because they don't really do birth centers in North Carolina. Um, and I don't know if home births are really a thing, you know, I just kind of naturally gravitated towards like a doula and like this unmedicated hospital birth. Um, I read Ina May's guide to childbirth uh, on our baby moon. And that was like what sealed it for me. Like that was the game, like the game changer. I mean, totally. Once I read that book and all her like positive stories, I was like, I am woman, hear me roar. I can do this. My body's meant to do this. Like this is what I was meant to do. Like, you know, our body knows what to do. Like I can do this. Um, and so I really like, I think around like 20, 22 weeks, I, I got like contacted, um, the Aussie doulas and I was just kind of like obsessed. Like I had a spreadsheet. I had all these things I wanted to do each week. And I had like a real game plan of how to achieve this unmedicated hospital birth. Um, And I really envisioned like twinkly lights and candles and, you know, a water tub and, um, you know, music and my husband and I'd be on the like peanut ball and the stability ball and, and, you know, all these, these different devices. And I'd be trying all these methods and I was prepared to do that, but that's not actually how things went down. But yeah, that's kind of like what's my vision was this like kind of like really, you know, long and not complicated, but I I had a lot of things in my 
bag to pull out if I was struggling. Like I had a lot of like pain management techniques and, um, you know, hypnobirthing and, and stuff like that. I had like all these ways to get through it. And I did not end up needing any of them, which was, was great. Um, but it was just kind of funny that I like really envisioned this day of labor and having to like, kind of like pivot to all these different things that I would have at like my disposal. Yeah. That's awesome. It sounds like you did a ton of research. Like you said, you read that itemized book, you knew a little bit, did you take a hypnobirthing class or did you kind of just, um, learn it yourself? No, I kind of just read myself, like just, you know, on like Reddit and just, I, I don't want to say it was hypnobirthing. Cause I know that's like very much like a copyrighted thing, but I guess I would say like meditation techniques, gotcha. I guess is, is a better word for it. Gotcha. So, and then, so you did, sounds like you did a good amount of just kind of like general birth education and birth prep, and you were planning an unmedicated hospital birth and you hired a doula. Does that sound? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So tell me about going into labor. I went into labor 40 plus two. Um, so two days after my, my due date, um, I had zero signs of labor up until 39 weeks. Um, and I was, declining cervical checks um, just because I wasn't interested in knowing like how effaced or dilated I was. Um, for me, I know some women love it. For me, I felt like I would get too obsessed with that number and I would either be really disappointed or really excited. And I would just go to Dr. Google and try to find stories and try to figure out when I was going to go into labor and I would just become a psycho. So I decided that was probably not the best method for me. And so I just declined. Um, and my midwife was fine with it. She was like, that's cool. You don't, you don't need to be checked. There's, there's really no reason. Um, you know, we'll worry about it more after 41 weeks, you got some time right around my due date. I think it was my due date. Um, I lost my mucus plug. Sorry. That's graphic. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. This is a birth (laughs) podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing is graphic. So yeah, so it it gets graphic. Um, So yeah, I lost my mucus plug. I I had very, very faint cramping and like back pain. I almost was kind of thinking I was like imagining it like, and it was like, it wasn't really happening, but I shot Carly a text anyway, just to be like, Hey, by the way, like lost my mucus plug, having slight cramping, not sure if that means anything. Um, I also had had like a ton of pelvic soreness. I don't know. It felt like my pelvic bones were just like rubbing together, um, like bone on bone. It was brutal for like a few days before that. Um, and my midwife had said like the baby was very, very low and that can happen. Like when they, their head rubs up against like your pelvis. Um, and so that was really the only sign I had that like things might be close. Um, and then my mucus plug. And so I let Carly know, and she kind of said like, all right, we'll monitor it. Um, you know, it, it could be something and it could be nothing. So we'll, we'll just see. Um, and so I think that night we went to Hawthorne's um, here in Charlotte. Um, so if anybody knows, they have something called the induction pizza. And that's how I, I celebrated um, our, our baby's due date was with uh, the induction pizza. Um, it's been mentioned on this podcast multiple times. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't want to say that it's a magic bullet, but for me, um, you know, I went into labor the next day. So, uh, Saturday, um, we 
woke up, um, I think more of my mucus plug fell out and I had like really bad pelvic pain, not pelvic pain, but I felt like there was a bowling ball. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know women say, say that, and I literally, that is exactly what it feels like. It feels like there is a bowling ball just sitting like in your like perineum, just waiting to come out. And uh, this is, you know, probably TMI, but I felt like I had to go to the bathroom, go number two. And so like all day Saturday, I just kept going to the bathroom and nothing was happening. And I'm like, what is the deal? All the pressure. Yeah. And so then it finally kicked in for me, like, okay, this is probably something. Um, And so we actually, we have a black lab, we have a dog. And so we wanted to make sure he was all taken care of. We sent him to his little sleepaway camp. Um, and on the way back from driving him to drop him off, I started to feel um, really, really, really mild contractions. Like I, I couldn't time them. So I wasn't sure if they were actually contractions because in our natural birth class, they had really, you know, made sure to tell us that like contractions will be timeable. There will be a distinct start and stop. And there wasn't, but there was something going on. And so I wasn't sure that they were contractions. So we went home. I kind of was, was thinking this is, this is probably it. We'll see. I finished up like my hospital bag. Um, I baked some cookies. Um, I think we went for a walk. I was curb stomping, trying to do some things from the mile circuit just to get things going. Um, and then we went out to dinner and, uh, I think we went for like spicy Indian food because I was really, you know, like ready to get this going. And um, it was on the way back from that in the car that I was like, oh, okay, these are definitely contractions because they started to have like a start and stop. Um, They were very mild. They were like 15 minutes apart. So I knew it was like, we we had a lot of time. Um, And I called Carly just to give her an update. And she's like, sounds like prodromal labor. So you might have some time. You might like be in for, you know, a long one. Just try to get some sleep and really hydrate. um, And and we'll be ready to, you know, bring your babe into this world in the next day or two. Um, So I was really prepared for a long haul when she said that. Um, And that night I took a shower. Um, The shower actually I thought would help. And because that's kind of a coping thing or like a pain management is like a hot shower. But for whatever reason, it really heightened the contractions and brought them a lot on. So um, I was getting a ton in the shower and I didn't really expect to sleep that night. But luckily we went to sleep. They slowed down. They were very, very like, you know, an hour between them. I could sleep through them, which was great because I got like a full night's sleep. So did my husband. Um and then Sunday was 40 plus two. We woke up and I had my bloody show again. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Stuff's real graphic. Um, no, you're good. So once that happened, I texted Carly. I knew it was like, you know, game on and, you know, it was going to be, you know, that day or the day after that, you know, we were going to meet our baby. Um, and my husband immediately just kind of sprung into action and he was, going to get bagels and getting me Gatorade. And um, we, our plan was to labor at home as long as possible. Um, And so we 
had taken a natural birth course at our hospital and it was great. If anyone has a chance to take it at CMC, it's an awesome, awesome course. And our teacher there had really encouraged the partners or the husbands to make sure that, um, you know, their wives or girlfriends, whomever are hydrated and eating. And they basically said, that is your only job. Make sure she drinks and eat. Just don't let her like, you know, be dehydrated or faint or anything like that. So my husband was great. He, he took that um, instruction very seriously. And mm -hmm. he was great the entire time making me drink stuff, which I'm really, really thankful for. Um, and so the whole Sunday morning and early afternoon was just like contractions and just getting through them. Um, I had a stability ball, you know, we had all these different pain techniques, like a, a tennis ball um, and stuff like that, but nothing like that helped. Um, it was really just getting through the contractions. That was the only thing really like bracing myself for them and, and writing them out. Um, I didn't really need a lot of like rubbing or, or massage or anything like that. I just wanted to brace myself on something and like ride the wave, I guess, as, as they say. Um, so yeah, I, I tried so many positions and so many different ways to, to go through a contraction, literally nothing worked. Um, and so I just found myself always like kind of leaned up against either like our mantle of our fireplace or our, our um, kitchen counter or our kitchen island or like a bar stool and just getting through them. Um, the only thing that helped was just mentally envisioning kind of like a bell curve and trying to get to the top of the bell curve, like try to get to the peak and then just ride it on down. Like, right. so it was kind of like, you only have to get 50% of the way there. Right? right. And then you're good. Um, and then you get some relief between them. And so that was kind of the only thing that like made them feel like manageable was like, just get 50% away there and then you're good. Um, and just really, I think the research I had done, the reading before that I had done, Ina May's book, um, really framing birth in a positive way was probably the biggest thing. I just didn't think about labor happening to me. Like I kept thinking, this is my body's power. Like right. this is my body's power, bring life into this world. Um, and so that helped, but you know, when you're in active labor, nothing really helps. Like there was definitely a moment where I was crying to my husband and telling him that I wasn't going to be able to do it. I was going to get that bedural, all my research, all my prep was like nothing. And just don't even mention anything to me. Like I'm getting the epidural. I'm going to get there. I'm going to be told I'm two or three centimeters and I'm going to want the epidural. So I'm sorry that we did all this, but that's what's happening. And I was really like kind of preparing myself and him, like, this is what's happening. I know. And, um, sure enough, like probably a half hour, 30 minutes after saying that, um, he called Carly or Carly called us. I'm not sure it gets really fuzzy. I was very much in the zone. Um, but I would, Carly heard me in the background, um, kind of moaning through a contraction. And she said, Oh, that sounds like active labor. 
Um, you probably want to kind of get things in the car, get ready. Like you might be, you might be close. She sounds like she's, it's pretty intense. So you might be close. Um, and as they were having this conversation, I felt like a gush of water and I was really in the zone. And I'm like embarrassed to say that I didn't even think that it could have been my water breaking. I really thought I peed my pants. I was like, so embarrassed. I was like, Kirk, I, I peed my pants. Like, oh my gosh. I was just completely out of it. And um, Carly said, well, make sure it's not her waters. And so I went and checked and it was my, my bag of waters. And so at that point we went to the hospital, I was GPS positive. And so um, the, the instruction then is to go right to the hospital. Um, and I think based on kind of, you know, how I, how the contractions were going, I was probably on my way to the hospital, regardless of whether my water's broke or not. Right. So, um, we got in the car and, um, this is probably the only negative part of, of labor and delivery is the car. Uh, Everybody says the car ride is awful. Oh my gosh. Everyone says it and they're not joking. Like I, I can't even sugarcoat it. It was awful. It was excruciating. The contractions were just relentless. I don't know what it is about being in the car. They just would not stop. Mm. And you're like cramped up. Like you're just like, I don't know, squished up into this car seat and you're on these bumpy roads. Oh, it was not, not great. Um, luckily we're only 25 minutes away from the hospital. I don't know what I would have done if we were further. Um, it's probably the only part of labor where I really did turn into that crazy, like hormonal pregnant woman screaming at her husband, because I was like, why are you driving so slow? What are you doing? <laughs> um, and so when we got to CMC Maine, um, our local hospital, um, they have valet, but the valet was, I don't know, it was a really busy day. Everybody was there. Everyone was having babies. So there was nowhere to park. And my husband just kept driving around the valet circle and I was just not having it. And so I finally screamed at him, you need to just stop. I have to push. Like I need to push this baby out. Like you got to stop. And so he just parked on a curb somewhere. And luckily the valet guy either heard me or I don't know, saw me and they were there within seconds with a wheelchair and, um, they wheeled me right up to triage. I mean, my husband was like in left in the dust. Um, <laughs> he had to deal with the keys and getting the car somewhere and, you know, filling out the forms and stuff like that. Um, I will say, I don't remember much because I think I was like in early transition at this point. So I was really in the zone, but I do remember going through the lobby of CMC Maine and people were like cheering for me and clapping <laughs> for me and screaming like, congratulations. And I just like look back and wish I could have like remembered that or been a fly on the wall because it must've been a real sight to see. Like it, it's just like makes me laugh thinking about that. Um, but yeah, we got, um, finally got up to triage. I think the valet guy did get lost. I don't think he was used to going up there. Oh, um, so we got to triage. It was luckily very, very quiet up there. Um, and triage is not pleasant. Um, and I was warned during our um, natural birth class that triage was not gonna be pleasant and it wasn't. And I don't know why, like they were just kind of mean. I don't, I don't know if it's 
particular to like that nurse or just if that's how they're trained, but um, they were not super, they were not super nice. Um, and so they kind of threw a bag at me and said like, put your clothes in here, I'll check you. Um, and so once they did check me, I was six to seven centimeters and um, my waters had broken. So then she was very, very nice to me. And then she was like, oh, we gotta get you upstairs. You don't wanna have your baby here, do you? Um, and so they got me to a delivery room my husband was still nowhere to be found. Oh, geez. Um, and so um, he finally got there. They were trying to get a vein um, or a IV in for the um, antibiotics for GVS positive, and they could not find a vein. And so they had to get this vein finder thing. And I don't really remember it. I just remember being poked a lot and having a lot of bruises afterwards, but they finally got it in um, and yeah, I mean, I think we got, I think I got up to the room around 3 p.m. And it was, it was hard. Those contractions were hard. I don't remember a lot of it. I remember my husband coming in. I remember the nurse and the midwife asking me a ton of questions. I think I missed a form. I think that there's a medical form you're supposed to fill out or a medical chart. And I guess I didn't fill it out because they asked me every question. I mean, rapid fire questions. Um, so that is something that I'll, you know, if, if we have another baby, I will definitely make sure I fill out whatever forms need to be filled out. Cause that was, it was hard to go through contractions and try to like be in the zone right. while someone's asking you like, Hey, do you take any daily medications? Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was a hard part of, um, Kind of being in a hospital setting is there are those formalities that you have to go through um and so once my husband was there and i think carly showed up around 3 30 ish um she put out a lot of essential oils i do remember that i do remember cold washcloths with essential oils being amazing amazing I would have never thought that I'm not into oils. I, I, I've never really bought into like their magical powers, but now I'm a believer because they saved me towards the end of, of labor. They were great. Um, do you remember which oils she used? Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't, okay. I feel like I want to say eucalyptus, Okay, but I don't know, but they were amazing. Yes. Um, awesome. And the cold washcloths were great. Um, she put up really pretty lights. Um, and so at that point I was really like in the thick of it. I think they had me on my side with the peanut ball. We really tried a lot of positions at that point. Uh, and then we got on all fours on the hospital bed um, to see if that would help. And so by the time I was on all fours, for whatever reason, I felt like I had to push almost the minute I, I got on all fours, I felt like I had to push. And they had told me don't push in the beginning when I had gotten there. They said, don't push, don't push. You know, you're, you're only seven centimeters. Don't push yet. Um, and so about an hour later around 4 PM, I told them I'm really, really sorry, but I, I feel like I have to push. I'm not doing this. My body is doing this. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they were kind of like, okay, well, if you really have to push, maybe the baby's coming. Mm -hmm. And they were really nice. They said, we don't have to check you. If you feel like you need to push, go ahead. But um, Carly and I kind of said like, let's, let's 
get checked just to make sure I'm at 10 centimeters before I push because it did happen really quickly. Right. Um, and so I was 10 centimeters. And, and so they said like, how do you want to push? And I was getting really tired at that point. So being on all fours, like I, I know that's like a big position people love. Um, but I was just too tired to be like on my arms. And so I flipped to my back in stirrups for some reason that just made me feel like I had a lot of power. I could hold on. Um, it just felt right to me, which I know kind of goes against like gravity and how your, your body normally does it. So, um, they coached me through pushing. I didn't love that. Um, there were, there was a nurse, a midwife, a do my doula Carly, and then my husband Kirk, and they were all shouting at me and counting. And I don't feel like any of them were on the same count. And they weren't on my body's count. And so they were wanting me to get to like 10 and my body was very clearly like, you know, stopping at an eight. And I just kind of felt like I was failing at that point, which I hadn't felt like the entire time, but just kind of feeling like, well, I didn't get to the 10 count, so I'm doing it wrong. And I kept apologizing. I was profusely apologizing to everybody. I'm not sure why that happened, but, um, I just felt really bad that I wasn't able to meet their expectations. So, you know, lesson learned um, in the future, if we have a second baby, I would not, I would ask for no coaching through the pushing. Yeah. I think my body knew what to do. And I just had to like, kind of tell everyone to like chill out with the counting. Um, and so I think I pushed for 45 minutes and uh, she was out. And so um, we had not find out the baby's gender. We didn't know um, if it was a boy or a girl. And so that was like an amazing moment. It's always gonna be an amazing moment, but hearing my husband say it's a girl was just like, I mean, another level of cool. And uh, <laughs> it was very, it was like just an amazing moment. There's literally no words um, to describe like having your baby put on your chest. It, just, I wish I, I wish I could bottle it up and like sell it because it's just the best feeling in the whole wide world. Um, and our daughter was, you know, born perfectly pink, full head of hair, healthy set of lungs um, and very alert. She was like eyes wide open, like on my chest. It was, was kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was it. It was pretty, um, pretty quick and you know, pretty uneventful for the most part. Um, one of the nurses told me, don't ever tell your friends about your birth story because they <laughs> will hate you and they will be jealous. Um, and our, our midwife said like, you know, this is, you know, a model birth story. Like, you know, so I realize it's like very rare and I'm very grateful that I had such a cool experience. And that's really why I wanted to like talk to you and share because I heard a lot of horror stories when I was pregnant. And even before I was pregnant, I heard a lot of, you know, complications and all these crazy stories. And I felt like, well, I had a really good positive birth and, you know, I just want to offer like a different yeah. perspective um, because it was very, very, very positive. Yeah. I love that. And I think that, you know, every birth story for sure, like every woman who gives birth to a child deserves a microphone and a stage because it's such, I mean, you're, you're amazing. Like it, 
it's just incredible that we're even able to do this and every birth story for sure deserves to be told. But I do love that. Like, like you said, like listening to positive birth stories, I think while you're pregnant is extremely important because there's just no sense in listening to negative things and getting yourself full of fear and thinking about the thousands of what ifs and thank and thankfully, you know, even so many of the women who come on the podcast and share their birth stories who maybe have things happen that weren't, ideal in the end, you know, their birth story is in some way empowering and beautiful and positive, Yeah, but it is amazing. I mean, your birth story, like, like your midwife said, it's like a model birth story. I mean, you, it was your first baby. You wanted to, you know, labor at home unmedicated as long as possible. You did. And you came into the hospital and went from six to 10 or seven to 10 in an hour and only pushed for 45 minutes. I mean, that, that really is incredible. And that's just, it does sound like an amazing birth. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very, I mean, I couldn't have asked for, for better. Um, you know, I know they, they say, or I heard someone say something like, you know, you always have, um, one pregnancy that makes you grateful and one that makes you humble. Um, and so I hope that we're blessed with another baby. And so I'll be kind of like crossing my fingers for another like amazing pregnancy and and birth, but uh, you know, it, even if I do have the one that humbles me, I'll always have this one to really like stay grateful and just always have this memory of this like pretty serene and pretty like surreal, um, you know, birth. Yes. That's incredible. And so tell me about your postpartum experience. How was postpartum for you? So postpartum, um, postpartum was fine. I think this is probably the, like, you know, they call it the fourth trimester. That's probably the trimester. I think I struggled the most, most with. Um, and I think it was mostly, you know, put on myself. Um, I went on this exclusive breastfeeding crusade. Um, I'm not sure why I don't like, I don't know why I was not breastfed as a baby. Like I don't, I'm not sure where it comes from. There is a lot of stuff out there that's pro breastfeeding and there's a ton of benefits to breastfeeding, but I got really wrapped up in it. And I, for some reason, set this goal of six months exclusively breastfed. Um, and you know, I had a very good, like we had a very good latch right from delivery. Um, but for whatever reason, my daughter didn't gain weight very quickly. And so she would nurse for a really long time and she wasn't meeting her weigh-ins. And so we went down this just rabbit hole of, of, you know, tongue ties and cranial sacral therapy and triple feeding and pumping and lactation supplements. Uh, we, I had a lactation um, consultant come to my house weekly. Um, I mean, I, I pulled out all the stops. Um, it was exhausting um, and I had a lot of anxiety. Looking back, I had a lot of anxiety um, about it and I could not really eat. I was always nauseous um, and I was most nauseous while I was breastfeeding. Mm. And I didn't really put two and two together. And my breastfeeding consultant kept asking me, um, do you think that the nausea is is really your nerves and like hormones and and are you anxious? And I didn't really put it together until like three or four months in. And I, you know, had lost a bunch of weight and um, I was just obsessed um, 
and it was just really like borderline unhealthy and she still wasn't meeting her like you know her growth curve and I just felt like if I could not do this and meet this goal that I was a failure and I had so much like just everything rode on if I could meet this goal um and it was a shame because it really does not matter fed is best um so around four and a half or five months we started to supplement with formula and I combo fed. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are going to say, oh, as soon as you introduce formula, your kid is not is going to refuse the breast. There's no way they're going to be able to do formula in a bottle and breastfeed. It's never going to happen. I don't know if my kid's an anomaly or what, but um, my daughter did great. I mean, she would have taken milk from anyone, from anything. Um, she had no issues. She had no hesitations. She was she was good either way. Um, so yeah, and she still, you know, didn't like skyrocket in weight. Um, I think she just didn't, you know, she wasn't a baby that was gonna, um, thrive on just milk or formula. Um, once we introduced solids around six months, that's when her, like her growth scale really took off. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it was a low supply thing. I don't know if it was you know, if she had some feeding issue, I guess we'll never know. But um, I do know that I, I should have just introduced the formula early and um, I just needed to let go of that goal in my head. And ironically, the fact that we were able to combo feed, I actually like nursed until nine months. And oh, wow. so, you know, I actually exceeded my goal in a way, but it just wasn't exclusive. So I don't know, I guess I'm very metric driven and very goal driven. And so there was just a lot of pressure on myself. And I hear a lot of people, you know, have this goal to breastfeed. And um, I'm here to say that it's, you know, it's okay. Our daughter is totally perfectly healthy, thriving, you know, very smart as a whip and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just like you said, you know, it, breast milk is amazing. It is, you know, so unique and so special in so many ways, but fed is best at the end of the day. And whatever that looks like for everybody, whether it's exclusive breastfeeding, whether it's, you know, exclusive pumping, whether it's, you know, breastfeeding and using formula or just formula at the end of the day, fed is best. And you, it's really, it's really easy. I feel like for moms to really be hard on themselves. Like, no, I need to exclusively breastfeed. Like if I don't yeah. exclusively breastfeed, then, then, you know, I might as well just only do formula or they just kind of feel like, you know, if it's not exclusive breast milk, then they're just failing. And that's, yeah, it's so not true. And when you, when you introduced the formula and kind of started to do both, did you mentally feel like that? I'm sure at first it was a little bit of, of a battle, but did you feel like a, a kind of a weight was off of your shoulders? How did that feel? um, for you when you introduce the formula? So I will say, um, introducing it was a hurdle. Right. Um, you know, we, my husband and I are both like, we research, we're like psychotic type A people, both of us, we love to do research. So, you know, we, we talked to like our breastfeeding consultant. Uh, and so we found, you know, this European hip Dutch formula, and we got this baby Brezza thing to make it a little bit easier. And um, I just remember getting the formula shipped to us and getting setting up this 
you know, little Keurig for baby formula mm -hmm. and just being so upset. Like I had a pit in my stomach, like this, like it was just like an indictment of my failure, like in my face, like the, this is what you couldn't do. And that was really, really hard. Like I just kind of was sick to my stomach every time I looked at this stuff. And I remember um, them, my breastfeeding consultant or someone telling me that, you know, don't as the mom, you don't want to be the one to introduce the bottle and the formula because your baby will expect it, you know, will, will not like nurse from you. And I don't know if that's true, but anyway, I went ahead with that advice and we had our nanny give her the bottle of formula. And I just remember crying. Like I was working from home and, you know, I had to help her set it up. And I just remember bawling, like just the first bottle. I just was so sad about the whole thing. And my daughter did fine. And I think after a few weeks, it was a big relief, but that first initial week or so, like it, it hurt. Like it was just very hard to like kind of grasp that I couldn't feed my daughter myself. And um, I just had a lot of like mental kind of barriers around it. Right. And that, and that totally makes sense. That is 100% valid of just struggling with it in the, in the beginning and just that's a transition. And like you said, you were so type A and goal driven. So you were like six months exclusive and it is hard, you know, when, and that's the same for labor and delivery birth and postpartum. It's like, it's really hard when we set these goals. That's why yeah. I always say, you know, even with my own doula clients, like, let's talk about birth preferences, not birth plans because yeah, we, so it's just how all about how you frame it. Yeah. And it's yeah. so much easier when it's like, well, I prefer to breastfeed for six months exclusively. If I, you know, if I can't or something happens, then, you know, we'll go down that road when it happens. But it, I feel like it's all about how you initially form these kind of like goals that we have yeah. and in the mindset that we, that we automatically attach to them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, Any um, yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to share from your postpartum experience? Um, no, I think, I mean, other than just the breastfeeding, like I do call it a crusade. Um, no, I mean, other than that, it was pretty un uneventful. Our daughter was, um, she really liked to be held. Um, and so we almost held her exclusively. I mean, through naps, through the night. I mean, we really, um, we didn't co-sleep, but we didn't get a lot of sleep because we, one of us had to be awake, either nursing her or um, holding her. And so um, that was a really, I don't wanna say a dark time, but when you're so sleep deprived, it makes it really hard to enjoy anything because you're just a zombie for like the first three months. Um, so, we didn't like my, I have a best friend and she loves the newborn phase. She is just obsessed with like babies six weeks and under. She just loves them. And I cannot relate. Honestly, I cannot relate. I did not love the newborn phase. I, um, you know, right around three ish, four ish months is when like, I felt like the bond really like formed for me. Um, and my daughter, like the first three months was really just survival. Um, 
it was very like mechanical, like, what do you need? Let me give it to you. Let me change you. Let me make you sleep. Like it was very just kind of like going through a routine. It wasn't until four months where we got like longer stretches of sleep. Um, I went back to work. I think that was a big thing for me was um, I am somebody that likes a routine and I like, um, I just like to have like things to do and I didn't love the newborn routine. The newborn routine, like eat, play, sleep. Is that it? Or is it eat, pray, love? I don't know. <laughs> something something like, like that. that. <laughs> I, don't um, I mean, it's very monotonous. It's just, it's just a cycle over and over and over again. And I didn't love it. Um, so right around three and a half, four months, I think I went back to work and we had a nanny come in. Um, it was right at the start of COVID. So um, we were all in our house. My husband was home, the dog, the nanny, the baby. So everybody was here. It was actually like a pretty decent time to kind of return from maternity leave because I was still able to be home. I was still able to nurse. I didn't have to deal with like, you know, a mother's room and pumping at work. And so, right. um, but I still got like back to my routine and back to work and, and you know, having projects and um, then on the weekends, I got to do kind of like the mommy thing and, and that whole eat, play, sleep routine and stuff like that. So um, we also sleep trained around five months. Um, and that was amazing. Uh, that was also like kind of a game changer, I think, was once we were getting more than like six hours of sleep um, at a time, it was much easier to kind of like enjoy the day and, and kind of like, you know, soak it all in. Yes. It's amazing what some good sleep will do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you guys take an online like sleep course? So we did, we took taking care of babies. Yeah. Um, it didn't really work for us. Um, okay. I see where it could work with some babies. I, I feel like my baby wouldn't have never worked for, she didn't love to be swaddled. Um, and so that was just like kind of a miss from the start, but I like the techniques. I just think it would be better for like a different type of baby. But we ended up doing a sleep training course called um, the three-day sleep solution. It's from like the 1980s. I swear it's like really outdated. It's so old school. Um, I had to find like a photocopy of it online. Um, and it was talking about like bumpers on the, on the crib. I'm like, I'm pretty sure those are like outdated and like no one has bumpers anymore. So I knew it was good because I was like, this is really old school. Let's, let's do this. Um, and it worked in three days. Like they're not Definitely. kidding when they say three day sleep solution. So our daughter has slept like 11, 12 hours ever since like five months. Um, and she is a great napper. She, um, we just put her into daycare around 12 months and she naps at daycare. So, um, it was, it was great. Uh, but she was definitely a baby that needed like formal sleep training. Um, and you know, it was hard the first few nights, uh, to go through that, to hear her cry a little bit. Um, she only cried, I think like 15, 20 minutes, but it was really hard. Uh, and so I would literally, we would put her down for the night and I would go and get dinner and my husband would watch the monitor and, and make sure she was okay and kind of listen to her cry. So I'm really lucky that he would kind of be the, the, um, the bad cop in the situation mm -hmm. <laughs> and I could kind of just go out and, and escape it. So, yes. yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, Christina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story and your birth with us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. I I love these. I I think what you're doing is great. And I hope someone out there gets like a little bit of, of, you know, something from me sharing my story. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.